Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to Modernizer Die CFML News Edition, where the big head set up today. Welcome back. It's July 28th, episode 63 of the news. Man, we got a lot of these things. It's like we're at the children's table. You know, <laughs> the table's up to here. We're like, hello. Yep. But uh, sad for you guys, but we're here. <laughs> okay. So, July 28th. We got some good news out there today. But first, let's thank our sponsors, Auto Solutions. Uh, so you can get live training from the makers of your favorite box product. Uh, see if cast is going well. We've still got a, a lot of free and paid content being delivered every week. And we'll tell you a little more about that later. Uh, but that's cfcast.com. And we have more workshops to be announced in August since we just had our zero to hero and our hero to superhero in July. Uh, some more coming at you in August here. But we also uh, want to thank our Patreon supporters. We're up to 63% funded now for our podcast. It's pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah, we had some new ones that Eric and I announced last week. Yep. And so a couple of them are even stepped up and paid some big big dollar amounts. So that really helps uh, get us to that funding point. So right now, uh, Patreon is paying for about 63% of our uh, podcast production costs. Um, and so if you love our podcast, uh, hopefully you guys can uh, consider chipping in as well. So, and if you hate us a bunch, just donate so much that we quit and just go on permanent vacation because we have all this money. Yeah, good plan. <laughs> so you can find out more at patreon.com slash autosolutions. Okay, let's get into the news. So today, or not today, I guess this last week, um, we announced that Coldbox has turned 14. Mm, I feel like we should sing. Dun, 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 dun. Or will YouTube monetize your video because that's a copyrighted song if we sing it? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> but <laughs> you know um, how YouTube is. Yeah, so I guess the first release was in June of 2006, but Luis actually started working on it before then, right? In 2005, he was doing some stuff. I believe so, yeah. Coldbox was sort of an internal um, framework that was used uh, at, at Luis's job. I think the original name was Textus which meant like to weave stuff together. Uh, yeah. I believe it was the Sandals and Beaches Resort. And then it kind of went through a few different iterations before it came the the open source test box. So Cool. So yeah, so way back in 20, 2006 was first officially released. And yeah, 14 years old and still going. We haven't moved on yet. We just keep building bigger and better or smaller and better even with a new <laughs> modularized setup. So we have some other announcements too. So quick version four was released. So a few breaking changes in there, which means that's why it got bumped to a major version. Don't worry, mm -hmm. don't freak out too much. There's uh, not that many changes to worry about. Uh, there are some other good changes in there as well, uh, looking at dynamically adding relationship counts, etc. But Eric is really good with his module. So he's got a what's new section, a migration guide, and then uh, we have a link to Forgebox to actually find out more about quick. And so those migration guides are really helpful just to see what you have to actually do. Cause a lot of these uh, major updates, 99% of you won't even have to make any changes. So uh, don't be too scared as Eric says. Yeah. Don't push off the update or then you'll get way behind and then it will be a big change. Little, little tiny changes aren't hard to deal with. Yep. And with quick version four, we also have QB version eight released. So what? again, eight? um, that's higher than Coldbox, and Coldbox has been around for 14 years, I hear. Yeah, so the breaking <laughs> change in the QB was when callbacks now automatically scope and group where clauses when an or combinator is used. So um, definitely definitely need to check the, again, uh, what's new and the migration guide there. Um, but there's also some other things too, um, other changes like combining clear orders and order by with a new reorder me method, uh, which is pretty good, or reorder method. Reorder. And then uh, clear current selected columns or clear select. So a couple of little things that, you know, really handy. Um, so some, some nice little updates in there. So QB8 is released. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a newer listener and you're like, what is quick and what is QB? QB is Query Builder. It's a library that lets you create sort of nice abstracted uh, queries against your database using a sort of chainable uh, DSL of methods. Um, it's basically a wrapper for uh, Query Execute. 
but it gives you some uh, abstractions above different database types. And it has some really nice uh, helpers just to create a really readable language in a script format. And then Quick is an ORM built on top of QB that's just pure CFML. So it's different than the, the Hibernate ORM that's built into, um, into Cold Fusion, but it's a, it's a pure CFML ORM on top of QB. So if you're not familiar with it, give them a check. They both have fantabulous docs. Yeah, quick, quick. I really like because if you're doing any OO um, object-oriented programming already, it doesn't take much to add some quick goodness on top of that. You know, it's not a. a massive I believe it's pronounced program. "oo," Gavin. It's "oo" programming. I mean, do you <laughs> read a a book or do you read a book? Come on now. <laughs> Come on, son. Yeah. Finally made it to the rest of Psych last night, so I got my psychisms. I've heard it both ways. Yeah. So uh, I saw a tweet just come out from you about a new library, the RabbitMQ SDK added are to you GitHub. Are you stalking me on Twitter? I just sent that tweet like 10 minutes ago. I saw it and I thought that we should probably mention that. So uh, <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about it and why you're building it? Yeah, because um, somebody paid me to build it. Well, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, one of our clients, uh, Voya Travels, actually uh, sponsored this for their internal use. But I've been wanting to play with message queues for quite a while, especially Rabbit. And I did an integration with ActiveMQ a couple of years ago, but it was only with Cold F Adobe ColdFusion Event Gateways and um, haven't had a chance to really play with Rabbit that much. So we had a, a client wanting to do a nice integration with message queues um, on RabbitMQ, you know, supports WebSockets and it has SDKs for like every language ever. Um, Luis did a, a webinar that I think we have recordings of a couple of years back called uh, the Messaging Polyglot where he used RabbitMQ was like the glue between a little demo node app and Java app and cold fusion app and a CFML CLI, you know, task runner. And he had them all sending and receiving messages through the centralized message queue. Um, it was a really cool little, little application. So we finally got a chance to sit down and build a proper cold fusion SDK for RabbitMQ. So this wraps the Java SDK, um, but makes it way more cold fusion because the Java SDK is like going to create 50,000 classes and builders and properties and you got to assemble them all together and you get a Java cast everything. So um, the, the CFML SDK is an is API form a lot more similar to like the node SDK for rabbit. Um, it feels a lot more natural. So you want to have properties, you just pass a struct in, you know, and we take care of creating all the, the Java stuff. I've also added some really nice abstractions. So it automatically manages connections for you. It automatically manages channels for you. Because unfortunately, if you don't close, you know, your connections and your channels, you get stuff just hanging out in the JVM and then your server runs out of memory. Um, ColdFusion developers aren't used to having to manage those low level connections. So I, I was excited to work on this SDK over the last week or so. It's got like 40 or so tests already in the test suite. So much fun to do some test driven development. And uh, we just got it pushed to GitHub and ForgeBox, the docs are right there in the README. So if you're playing with Rabbit, go ahead and give it a, a look-see. We're all excited about it. So Very cool. Yeah, I've always wanted to, to dive deeper into it. But like you say, without having the ColdFusion version of the SDK, it's a little more work. So Oh, yeah. It's super fast, though. I, can, I, I was able to send and receive like 4,000 messages a second through it. Dang. It's just crazy fast, which, of course, is like about... 3,999 more <laughs> than I'll probably need for any of my uses right now. So it's yeah. definitely a super fast thing. Now, John uh, in the chat was asking, uh, you know, does it containerize well? I assume you're asking about Rabbit itself. And yes, I actually just installed Rabbit on um, our client's Docker Swarm, which it doesn't, doesn't really matter that it's Swarm. It could be Kubernetes. It could be anything. There's an official RabbitMQ container um, that pretty much kind of just works out of the box. You can set up some of the plugins you want it to use, like the management plugin is amazing, nice little web interface. You can, you know, set the default username and password in the ports. Um, and our service file, which I can I can show you, I, I got it online. It's just a few lines, exposes the ports. Um, and you have to map some volumes so your queues and messages don't disappear, you know, mm -hmm. if you restart the container. Um, but it really spins up pretty nicely. And there's a guide I can show you a link to that shows how to do um, a RabbitMQ cluster on top of Docker Swarm using console and some HA proxy. So um, yeah, it does work well. And I'm, like I said, we already have it running on um, on my client's Docker Swarm and we're about to start plugging into it. So I, I was very pleased with that because it definitely makes it easier. I, I spent like an hour and a half just upgrading my local RabbitMQ installation on Windows yesterday because I had to like update Erlang and I had to like find the right Rabbit and I had the wrong plugins. And the Docker container was like, 
just a couple lines and it's deployed and it was perfect. And I was like, oh, I should just use Docker locally. I could have had the local Docker container running faster than fiddling with my local, you know, Erlang installation and all that other nonsense. So yep. Sometimes Docker funny. is easier, Brad, even though you prefer not to use it sometimes. It's true. It's true. Sometimes it's easier. Yeah. I mean, like in this instance, I don't care about Erlang. I don't want to have to think about Erlang and find out what version of Erlang. I just want it to work. You know, and the yeah. Docker container for Rabbit, it just works. It just so, works. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's Scott Steinbeck said in the, yep. the chat. So speaking of stalking you on Twitter, I uh, also had another tweet from you about uh, how you, the command box lead developer, uh, is now a JBoss Undertow yeah. contributor. So I thought that was pretty cool for Cold Fusion that, you know, obviously command box is, uh, you know, server integration with Undertow is pretty important. And now you're uh, you're an Undertow contributor. So what did you contribute and, um, and why? I contributed some pull requests. <laughs> so we use we use Undertow, which is a Red Hat, uh, you know, product inside of Command Box. That's how we spin up the servers. And so we've been doing some really sweet integrations. It's going to come out in the next version of Command Box. That I'm super excited about. Uh, taps into their predicate language. You can make uh, rules right there in your server.json file that, you know, block access to a box.json file or do URL rewriting, um, just all right there based on this native undertow functionality. But in the process of doing that, we found a whole, you know, list of little bugs or things that could be improved inside of undertow. Um, so the, I've had two pull requests merged already. One fixed their minimum and maximum predicate checks because they were implemented backwards. Oops. Yeah. Um, and the other one, um, what did the other one fix? Oh, it added an, a new a new handler that lets you rewrite the the request better inside of the server. It is complicated to explain, but I, I've been on the mailing list just harassing the poop out of them. And then I, I just submitted a huge pull request that I've gotten one approval on, but it's not yet merged, that implements a whole bunch of logging. And Miguel at Ordis helped me work on this one. Because um, if we're going to tie this into command box, I wanted to be able to have really good logging because I like the logging that Tucky rewrites give us, gives us. So we went through and I think we touched like 120 files in the mm. undertow source code. Um, but it's, it's pretty exciting to be able to work with it. You know, obviously it's a, a major Java, you know, project. And so getting, getting some changes merged into the core source code is, is exciting. And good news for all of us is that flows through as, you know, features and benefits to command box since that's what we use for our servers. So, yeah, very cool. That's why I was pretty excited to see that because yeah, if you can contribute to the, the piece you're building on top of just even better, right? You know, yep. hopefully open source and action people. Yep. Okay. Well, cool. Let's uh, keep us up to date on any other things flying that way too. Yep. So CFCast, uh, as we mentioned, every week we try and release new content and we have some new content this week coming out for the Coldbox Masterclass. So uh, some videos were released mm. on layouts and layouts and view helpers in the Coldbox Masterclass. So um, that's more content. And again, we're adding more all the time. And if you go to cfcast.com support, you can ask for what you want to see. Um, I know that the, the box site chat is being busy people asking about different videos or whatnot and we've got a lot of different plans uh coming up we're just trying to find the time and scheduling everything to be released but um yeah we got lots of videos coming out here pretty soon so keep an eye on that and we'll try and keep you up to date every week on here as well sweet all right so there was a cofusion meetup last week right yep uh intro to native script with <clears throat> alex ziskin so he said, Pretty web cool. developers are people too, so you can feel better about yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe some of us. So yeah. that was the on the Cold Fusion meetup is where that was. Looks like there's a YouTube link for the recording. Yep. So if you missed that, you can go check out the recording for it and find out that you are a people too. Yep, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, the Cold Fusion meetup's been going strong, and I don't see any meetups scheduled for the next couple of weeks. But uh, I did actually talk to Dan Wilson, who uh, is basically putting together and trying to help Charlie get more speakers lined up. And so they've been, you know, working ahead, looking for uh, more speakers. So um, they should have some more scheduled here pretty soon. So it sounds like they got a pretty pretty full roster coming up here so as we get more information about that we'll let you know but um don't worry if you if you want to see more webinars we got more for you so last week adobe had a webinar on the understanding the api manager architecture and its various components 
And so I think if you registered for that, you should get an email with a link to the recording, um, but they don't have it uh, listed on their site. But this week, we have another Adobe webinar um, by Nimit Sharma, a bird's eye view of the PMT architecture and how to harness its true potential. So that's a performance monitoring tool set. So uh, it'd be pretty, pretty interesting to see how that works and get a you know deeper look at how it flows and compared to fusion reactor which you know we're we're more familiar with but um definitely a, a good webinar and then this friday we have another one so thursday we have one with adobe and then friday we have one from Audis. so grant copley one of the new Audis members uh, is going to be doing injecting dependencies with wirebox so this is something that a lot of people, uh, you know, get intimidated by, but it's actually pretty easy to use uh, once you learn a few key concepts, and that's what he's going to go over. Wirebox, like Coldbox, is com you know completely configurable, and you can do a lot of amazing things. But ninety-nine percent of what you do, you probably never have to touch a configuration file. If you drop files in the right place, you can use them. You know, use simple injection and uh, make your apps more powerful. So it's true, and that's the nice thing. The kind of convention over configuration you know a lot of wire box you just you know have your cfc's in the right place and you can just it just kind of works without having to tweak it that much and that's what i like about it so basically with all these webinars what we're trying to tell you is you're not going to get anything done you didn't get anything done last week and you're not going to get anything done next week it's going to be webinars back to back yep that's all exactly. we're doing and so and i know that the online meetup from with charlie is going to have a lot more coming soon too so don't worry plenty of good content coming your way Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of good content, we also have some conferences coming up. And our first thing on the list is one I just heard about today. Uh, Matt Clemente actually mentioned in the CFML Slack that jconf.dev uh, is going to be September 30th, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central. And it's going to be online and I believe free. And if you're one of the first um, 500 in the U.S. to register, you get an awesome swag box as well. So jconf.dev is the website address um, jconf.dev so at least go sign up for some swag even if you're not going to go but uh i highly recommend it. it sounds like a good conference with some uh good good content and yeah definitely think it should be four uh, tracks with experts from our global java and cloud community yeah so hmm. it's pretty interesting so uh I definitely think it's uh, going to be on my little list of things to do. I mean, they've got almost 30 sessions, um, and it's free. And so Looks like it was going to be in Chicago, in Chicago, yep. but then they changed it to be online. Just scroll on through their speakers here. Yeah. Um, I recognize that guy. So I recognize Rick. a few of them. Matt Rabel with the, uh, looks like a catch base t-shirt. No, Okta. Yeah, I've seen him somewhere. Yep. So. Yeah, some good names in here. Yep. So if you want to check it out, um, the swag Ooh, box. Vincats. Vincats on it. One of Luis's favorite speakers and mine. The yep. Art of Simplicity. Anything you can listen to from Vincat. He's a, a Java author and speaker and developer is always just fun. He's a great speaker. So it sounds like they have a good lineup if they have the ilk of uh, Vincat in there. Star-studded yeah. cast. Well, I was thinking Luis might like this session. I don't always test my streams, but when I do, I do it in production. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So is this a is this a paid conference? The, well, the this is free now because it's free. going online. They're doing it for free, and yeah, so if you register soon, you can get a bunch of swag. <clears throat> so I assume they have sponsors, uh, and that's how they're Better. paying for it. But um, yeah, so it is a Java conference, not a JavaScript conference, just for those. Um, but yeah, it might be. Otherwise, it'd be JSConf, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> so uh, definitely check that out. So following up on that, we have Into the Box 2020 workshop. So uh, we didn't do workshops for the the actual conference, so we've been spreading them out. So we had a couple of Zero to Heroes, and last week uh, Luis did the uh, Cold Box Hero to Superhero, and I think they had about eight or ten people there so a good turnout uh everybody enjoyed mm -hmm. it um i think a few people from the chat are actually uh in there i think john was in there um i think gary knight might have been in there yep i think gary knight was too so yeah a few people from the chat so uh hope they enjoyed it give us some feedback uh, let us know what we can do better and uh, what you enjoyed the most about it but uh, we're also finally a couple of workshops in August. So I know that you're going to be doing a uh, command box zero to hero. Uh, yeah. One. 
and we're still finalizing dates, but that's looking for later in uh, August. And then mm-hmm. uh, we're seeing if John Clawson has time to do the CFML containers. So I know a lot of people have been asking about that. So those are the two we're, we're penciling in for August. Um, it'll be the same uh, approach as the, the previous workshop. So we usually break it up over two days, yeah, six two hours day a day, three hour blocks. Uh, and then we'll be announcing that and pricing will be available soon on autosolutions.com slash events. So two days is a nice amount of time because you can really dig in and get some deep dive stuff. Um, but it's still not a super long um, commitment. So I like, I like two day workshops. One days are fun, but it's really hard to like get too deep into anything in this one day because it's over so fast. So the command box one should be fun. I think we're talking about focusing a lot on the server management since I think that's one of the the big usages for that. So uh, servers, Docker containers, deployments, all that stuff is going to be uh, part of what we're covering in mind. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a, a good workshop and there's always something to learn. There's so many things in command box. That every time you do a new video, I learn something too. So there's always something else to learn, even if you use it every day. A lot of people use it every day for just starting up their servers and that's it. But there's a lot more. Well, yeah, that. yeah, you're right. I mean, I run into people that say I use command box, but all I ever type is, you know, server start and server stop. And if, if that's the value they get out of it, like, that's awesome. But then I'm also thinking like, oh my gosh, there's like so much you're not using. But, <laughs> you know, not everybody has all the needs for it. But that's why we have these workshops to, to talk about it and dig into it. Yep, for sure. And then remember, we have a podcast 10 coupon code for 10% off. So if you guys use that, um, be, be basically yeah. a nice little discount there for you. So uh, um, definitely use John that. Farrar had a, had a question there in the in the chat asking about um, Docker. Um, I'm sure I'll, I'll touch on containerization, but I don't think I'm going to go too deep into that specifically since we are looking at having a dedicated container workshop by John Clausen. So I don't want to steal any of that thunder. The good news is, all of the stuff that I usually teach about how to deploy and configure command box, you can pretty much just apply directly to a Docker environment because it's, it's still command box. It's the same JSON files. It's the same stuff. So yeah. the things that I talk about usually you can directly do also in Docker, um, but I don't think I'm going to get too off in the weeds of actually doing Docker stuff. Cause like I said, we, we have a dedicated workshop on just Docker and I don't want to, I probably won't make my command box one get too Dockery since people, there's a lot of people that aren't into Docker and I don't want to you know exclude them from that. For sure. Okay. So uh, we mentioned previously that the Adobe Confusion certification is now online and uh, they actually released a blog post this week on that to tell you a little more about it. But um but yeah, basically they've got 50 plus online videos and they said that even the certification program is going online now. So you can enjoy the flexibility of scheduling your final assessment test on the date of your choosing. You don't have to worry about going to a testing center because of COVID and everything else. They're trying to make everything very flexible. So uh, that's, nice. that's yeah, this post came place. out just today on the uh, Adobe ColdFusion community portal. Yep. So we, we brought the news to you a couple of weeks back, but now you've got a little more information, which is pretty good because yeah, I, I definitely wanted to have the online certification too, because previously they only offered it right before a conference. And so you'd have to do the training and then do the test on the same day. But it's kind of nice that we don't have to worry about scheduling our workshops without overlapping the Adobe stuff. Cause now that everything's online, um, it's kind of spread out a bit more, which is a little bit easier, I think. Yeah. Not everyone can go to the conferences too. So by us doing them online, we're getting people reach out and, you know, take courses that they may not have done before uh, or may not have been able to. And definitely a big complaint is that they want to do more than one. So this way we spread them out so they, they don't have to just pick one. And sometimes it's a hard choice, you know, which one do you want to go to? Mm-hmm. So I want to go um, to them all. Yep. So definitely check that out. If you guys are looking for a certification from Adobe, uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good, Good people took it at um, CF Summit last year, and they walked away with 100 people plus, I think, that uh, had their certification. So, very cool. Okay. Uh, and then also, uh, WCF Summit 2020, the call for speakers is out. Um, I think you guys I was just looking. Is, is there an, a deadline on that? Because the form doesn't actually say. No, um, I know they're still trying to sum up dates. Uh, I reached out to Alicia and uh, Kishore via email, and they said they'll give me information as soon as they have it. They're still deciding, uh, trying to get everything worked. So. Okay. 
See, I, I rely on that deadline for the speaker submission because I'm a procrastinator and I put that deadline in my calendar and it's like, oh yeah, I got to do it. It's coming up this week without the deadline. I'll, I'll never do it. I need the, the, oh, what's that Ted talk, the, the chaos monkey and the oh, procrastination yeah. monster or something. I, I, I need that or I don't get anything done. Yep, for sure. So, uh, Again, we'll find out a little more. We'll let you know, and they even mentioned maybe even coming on the podcast to give us a little more information about that. So that was nice awesome. of them. So panic monster, thank you, Scott. Hmm. It's the panic monster that makes procrastinators actually get stuff done. <laughs> yep, we need a few more of those around sometimes. <laughs> okay, let's get to the blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. And so the first one we have is another one in the awesome series from Brian Class on. Uh, beyond the basics using AWS S3 and CFML. And this one is the why and how of adding tags to your files. And so uh, again, S3 does way more than most people think, but um, yeah, definitely a, a thing you wanna look at. So tags are metadata like key value pairs. You can apply to anything in AWS. Um, a lot of times people use them for cost allocation tags, but you can also do different things for departments, environments, etc. Um, and so basically it's just a way to tag your files and then find out some of the ways you can actually use them. So it's pretty easy with the SW, uh, sorry, the SDK, um, you know, pretty simple to, to get the file tag set up. Um, does our Autis one provide uh, tagging? I don't even know. Do I don't know. We right? should look at that. It's the last time I used the Ordis S3 SDK library, I didn't need to use tags, so I hadn't messed with it. Yeah, well, I was just thinking the same thing. So, so th this blog post here is suggesting that if you had a bunch of files on, on S3 and you tagged them with, the, with which departments use that file, that you would be able to somehow report then on those tags and figure out like what part of your cost was coming from which department. Is that what it's saying? Yeah. So with, with the tags, you can run reports. And so cost reports, you can filter by tags. Uh, you can filter That's by actually pretty and, handy. Yeah. And you can use them for a lot of different things. Tags are sort of a generic thing inside of AWS and you can break things down a lot of different ways. It makes sense. So, I mean, it's one thing to have tags. It's just, you know, internal metadata that metadata that you can use, but it's kind of cool that the tags are, are, are integrated into uh, what, it, what appears to be AWS's, you know, reporting and costs. Yeah, yeah, reporting and all their internal stuff. So it's kind of a first class citizen. I like that. Okay. So next, um, we have one from Will De Bruin. He's been talking about uh, CB security. So as he mentioned, he used CB security one for a long time and he's done a, a big mm -hmm. update to basically to version two, which is a huge update. This is one of those major, major uh, package updates. And so he's uh, had a few in the series. And number four in the series, he's talking about JSON web tokens. So JWTs. Nice. So, or Jot, as they say in the I don't know why hood. they call that Jot. I hate that name. <laughs> but anyway, each their own. So yeah, so he goes the over Jupiter, the concepts. Jupiter tokens. You know, and showing. It's the JSON web Jupiter tokens. There you go. Yeah, so it shows you what a you know encoded one looks like versus a decoded one, and it's a nice site for you to, to work on that too. Talk about claims and scopes, and so it really goes into a lot of detail. And then the best thing of nice. all is using the sample code right here. So you can actually go in and add your configuration that you need to as part of your uh, setup with CB security. And it talks about what they all mean. So this is a really in-depth blog post. Uh, definitely recommend if you're going to play with JWTs. Uh, definitely read this. It's a really nice breakdown and his other posts in the series have been really good too. So highly recommend That's that. That's super involved, yeah. Yeah, it's probably this why it like took him a while. like Ben levels of expounding on the topic. I like it. Yep. So speaking of Ben Adele, <laughs> he's up next. <laughs> so this one was actually a really interesting one. Um, so in this blog post, he <clears> talked <throat> about using the Apache POI to save and vision prototypes as interactive PowerPoints in Lucy. So I didn't know the POI did more than just Excel because I've only yeah. ever used it for Excel in the past. But I guess it does a lot of work with a lot of uh, Microsoft um, things. So basically this one here, he has a nice video too, which is really good to, to watch. Um, basically walks through creating shapes and setting links. And so you actually set up a PowerPoint from this um, prototype file and shows you how to link and, and do all that um, using the, the Java library. And so um, he walks through it, watch the video. It definitely makes more sense, but 
Uh, he basically goes through two different passes when he does it. So he creates all the slides first, and then he goes through them again, adds a bunch of hotspots to make links. So he actually makes a, a nice clickable uh, PowerPoint slide that jumps around. And so uh, my wife being an online teacher, they're using PowerPoint like this now, but he's doing it programmatically. So basically you have these little links and they jump to different slides in the slideshow. That's kind of a, a neat little system. So. What's What's the cold fusion tag that Adobe has that creates PowerPoint? I don't think Lucy implements it. What is it? I, I don't can't even remember. Know. Oh my gosh. No, they have the, the spreadsheet. I didn't know they it's had a PowerPoint one. Yeah, I was pretty certain there was a cold fusion tag that I've never actually used that will create PowerPoint. But um, for the life of me, I can't remember it. Or maybe I just imagined it. Anybody in the chat? Oh, presentation. The one word I wasn't freaking searching for. Yeah. CF presentation. Hmm. Yeah, Charlie see, Lucy doesn't support it. Um, yeah. I had like yeah. a brain fart on it. Because uh, as I was thinking, you know, Ben jumped from uh, Cold Fusion 10, and I'm, I was thinking this was introduced in, in Adobe Cold Fusion later on. Um, I could be wrong, though. It's been so long since it came out. But yeah, Lucy never supported the CF presentation. I don't think anybody's ever even made a, uh, an extension for it, probably because nobody ever really uses it. Um, but yeah, if you needed it, you get the POI. So here's a here's a little uh, tidbit. Do you know what POI stands for? Apache POI. It's a library, or not a library. It's an acronym. No nope, CF8. Holy cow! So it has been around for a long time. Yeah, POI uh, stands for Poor Obfuscation Implementation. Uh, apparently, it was kind of like a, uh, a a jab at Microsoft's kind of like binary format they used to use for you know uh, documents in Excel and everything. <laughs> Ironically, now it's all like XML based, but POI originally stood for poor obfuscation implementation, which is quite the mouthful to name a library after. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I always thought it was like point of interest or something like that, like Scott said in the chat. I didn't know that it had a, a real jab in the meaning. It's pretty funny. Yeah, go figure. Well, we also mentioned Autis, um Solutions blog post on Callbox turning 14, so we'll skip that one. But another one from Benedale, but this one's more of a more of a sort of an opinion-based one. So thinking about Boolean arguments oh, as a He's code invoking smell. Martin Fowler already. <laughs> he's quoting them. I don't know if he's uh, poking at them, but yeah. I didn't say poking. I said he's invoking. Oh, invoking. I'm sorry. Yes, oh, yes. My bad. Yeah, so talking about Boolean arguments as a code smell and legacy code base. And so this was pretty interesting. Obviously, not all Booleans uh, would be a code smell, but talking about what might be and what may not be. And basically, you know, the Boolean arguments, you know, sometimes you add onto a function to do something completely different than what it was intended for. <laughs> it's sort of the, the key here. Sometimes people, instead of replicating the code and making it do something different, they'll actually set a flag and like, if this, do this logic, if that, do that. And so, yeah, you create generic functions that can do three or four things based on, you know, the parameters, as opposed to creating three or four completely separate functions with fewer arguments that have a very specific name yeah I, so I mean, his example uncle bob like talks a, about this stuff as well yeah and so it's it's a pretty good thing and so you know if you guys are interested in clean code or code smells and everything it's you know it makes some good points here um i definitely like those books you know like i said uncle bob and and just the the general code practices and whatever are pretty interesting so but yeah, so he goes into why some of them, uh, oh yeah, like this one, Boolean arguments that are blindly passed down the call stack. So you just keep <laughs> passing them down over and over again. So, yeah. But it was pretty interesting. And, you know, like I said, obviously it's just his opinions and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, so recommend you guys should check it out. Yeah, it's always an interesting discussion. So I, I probably land somewhere in the middle. Um because I, to a degree, I kind of like the dynamic nature of cold fusion. And, you know, I've been digging a lot in Java code <laughs> with these undertow pull requests. Um, you know, and it's so common in, in Java, because in Java, you can't have like optional parameters. You know, the parameters are, are, you know, they're very strict. They have these types, there are this number of them, and you'll never vary from that. And so you have classes that can be instantiated like seven different ways. And what do you end up with? You end up with seven different constructors. 
and it gets a little annoying because they're all like just slightly different, but this, this constructor has one extra Boolean and this constructor has another extra Boolean and this constructor has a third extra Boolean, but then there's not really one that has like this one and this one or these combinations. And then they all just internally call each other down to like one big constructor that actually does all the logic with a bunch of if statements. And sometimes I'm like, oh man, this is cold fusion. I just have like all the, all the Booleans default values and maybe some if statements like one method, boom, so much simpler. Um, yeah. But then, I, I mean, I've also created methods that were, you know, probably not really good methods. It was the generic, like, query the database method, you know, and it has like a thousand arguments that can do like a thousand different things, you know, and the API <laughs> gets watered down and everything is of type any, you know, as opposed to string or, or boolean or whatever, because you can overload all these arguments. So it's like, I've, I've seen both sides of it. And I sometimes end up in the middle is like, yeah, it's not always bad, but yeah, yeah. it's not always good. Like they but, say, you know, optimize till it hurts and then back up a little bit. <laughs> but these are great discussions to sit around and have with your coworkers is like, you know, hey, how, you know, because because I've seen guides that say, you know, functions should never have more than, say, 15 lines of code. I think Bob, Uncle Bob may have said that one. Or you should never have more than three arguments to a method. Or, you know, you should never have more than 100 lines in a class. Um, yeah. You know, and I always think any of those, like, very specific numbers are probably always wrong. <laughs> I hate rules, but I love guidelines, right? Yeah, yeah. So I hate having saying you can never have more than 100 lines in a class because like, well, I don't know. What if I have a really good reason for 101 lines? So I don't like to be pedantic about it, you know, but I think those are great discussions to have where you and your coworkers sit around and you're like, man, we got some classes with like 3000 lines, right? Yeah, maybe you know, raise your hand if up. you have some of those and you're like, yeah, those should be broken up. So it's like, obviously somewhere in the middle is, is the truth. So yeah, I, I always love those discussions, but I, like I said, I hate being pedantic about it, but I love being pragmatic about saying, okay, what's the spirit of the rule? You know, yeah. how can, how can we make our code better? So, yeah. And, and the, and sort of that line of thought, uh, cruddy by design and uh, by Adam Wevin, yeah. uh, who mm -hmm. built, um, you know, tailwind has a lot of good stuff on, you know, Laravel handlers and, and how to build APIs with them. And cruddy by design is really, really good. Uh, you should definitely check that out. Um, and that's sort of like how to deal with handlers specifically, but you can think about it the same way with a lot of your objects and your class files too. Um, yeah. So, I mean, cause it, as developers, I think, you know, we shouldn't always just feel like we're duct taping stuff together. We should feel like we're creating, you know, like this is like, we're making art almost, and we want to create things that are well architected and think about how should this be built? Not just, you know, keep throwing more code in the files you have until it makes the bugs go away. Yeah, um, exactly. So. I mean, you have to read it and you have to maintain it. And so if you have, you know, a user service or you have like a user and a user security and user permissions and a user groups and user roles, like then you know exactly where to find the function you're looking for, right? Because if you're looking for a user <laughs> role file function, it's in that file. It's not under user and one of the 15,000 functions you have. So, yeah, yep. definitely. Good conversation. So thanks, Ben, for getting me all fired up about code architecture or craftsmanship <laughs> Gary Stanton put in the slack it's a very good very good word for it cool so let's look at some cfml jobs here so uh with several positions available on getcfmljobs.com and right now they're up to 54 positions so i know some of these are a little older but we have three new jobs this week so we have a, a full-time cold fusion developer in brisbane in brisbane central business district in queensland australia even um, brisbane wow brisbane yep and then we have a lead developer architect um, in a remote position in the United States. And then we also have a technical lead for Cold Fusion and Hyperdead, Telangana, India. And so nice. those three being posted this last week. Those are all full time. Yep. And then uh, we had a couple that I actually saw from a user group that I subscribed to on Cold Fusion. And it was one application for a job from kforce.com. So I went and looked at kforce.com and I found uh, one job if you search for Cold Fusion recently. But if you type cold space fusion, there was a whole bunch of recent <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. options. Yeah, there's like pages of them. Cold so, space fusion. And there are a lot of them are real general application developer that has a variety of skills, but Cold Fusion was listed as them. So uh, we're going to give you the show notes. They'll have a link to both searches on that kforce.com site. What is kforce? It sounds like a like oh. a cartoon about like you know heroes that save the world. They're the kforce is here. Like what, yeah. is, what does that stand for? I don't know. Oh, knowledge force. Knowledge force. That's, that's what it is. It's yeah. the knowledge force is what it is. Yeah. Trademarked, mind you. 
Yeah, so it looks like they're yeah. just you know they help helping people find jobs. So they've got a few well, listed there, and someone... we should give them knowledge and how to spell cold fusion and how to improve their search such that it'll find all the cold fusion postings even if you misspell it. <laughs> yeah, and so I also noticed on Twitter today that there was a cold fusion developer looking for a job. Um, so sign of the times, he said he's looking for a new opportunity. If anyone can recommend any CFML cold fusion or front end React roles. Uh, in Essex, London, or remote, uh, John Joyce at CF John Joyce uh, on Twitter is looking for some work. So if you're looking for something, uh, someone, and it sounds like one of those things, uh, maybe reach out to CF John Joyce. I don't know the person or have any experience dealing with them, so I'm not sure, but I thought I would give a friendly shout out. So just want to nice. share that. This does not constitute an endorsement of CF John Joyce. Yep. Okay. Sweet. Yep. So Forgebox module of the week this week is actually not a module that we're going to install into a site that you're working on, um, but it's actually the Code Checker CLI. So Code Checker was an app mm. that we uh, sort of built up and take took over um, a while back, and then you went and created the CLI version of of that. And so um, now yeah. there's now there's a Code Checker app that runs on Coldbox, and there's a Code Checker mm -hmm. CLI. And pretty I mean, nice. it started. It started as a project years ago that kind of went through a couple different open source, you know, hands of being changed around, and it it had, it had evolved into like a web app that you would start. And we had a client that said, "Well, we want to automate this from the command line. How can we run all these rules?" And so we extracted all the core logic out into its own little ForgeBox module, having that shared now by the the web app and the CLI, which is this portion here. Yeah, I mean, and it started way back with Steve Bryant with CodeCop on Reaforge, and then we we used, uh, you know, Chris Weller actually helped um, created the first version of this code checker, and then we converted over to Coldbox and then evolved mm -hmm. from there. But you know, it has built-in support for the Vascoper from Mike Sherbel and the Query Param Scanner from Peter Broughton, and mm -hmm. you know, and then there's a bunch of other things too. So there's a whole bunch of different rule sets. And I liked how you actually updated to use a JSON file now too, so you can actually save your your settings of what you want the code checker to check for, and so you can have custom rules right in there, or mm -hmm. you can just choose some of the pre-built um, categories like security, performance, maintenance. We even created some that help you convert from ColdFusion to Lucy, so it'll actually yep. tell you what tags are missing from Lucy that you have to worry about converting. And these are basic kind of regular expression-based rules so when we've had client needs, like you just said, we're converting from ColdFusion to Lucy. How do we scan our code base and make sure any of the unsupported tags aren't in use? We created a series of custom rules checking for all the unsupported tags, and we can just run those. Um, we've, we've even created custom rules for a client, well, again, converting from ColdFusion to Lucy. And um, Lucy won't do implicit um, date conversions for strings in a CFF statement. It's for performance reasons. So if you do, you know, just compare two strings and don't use um, a, a date compare function, Lucy will behave a little bit different than Adobe. And it's, it's a documented feature we're not going to change. So we created a custom rule with a regular expression that looked for all the if statements that it compared um, two variables that had the word date or time somewhere in them. Um, and we were able to locate, you know, hundreds of lines of code that potentially might be affected by that behavior. And it was all just a custom rule that we built for CodeChecker. Yeah, I and mean, some of the built-in rules are pretty handy too. Like when you're moving from Windows to Linux, we have a case-sensitive set of rules that basically have all mm -hmm. the functions that have case-sensitive versions. And so <laughs> when you're checking stuff for files, case-sensitivity matters when you're on Linux. So um, yeah, there's a lot of cool rules in there and it's pretty neat. It runs a nice, uh, you know, it runs on the CLI so you can access it there, generates an Excel spreadsheet so you can go check through it. Uh, yeah, it's really evolved and it's pretty, pretty neat. I know we we're talking to some of the guys behind was the CF Lint and the CF format yeah, really. as far as passing goes. So we can even maybe even incorporate the passer into it so we can do even better, uh, code checking. But right now, yeah. like you said, it's just regex, but it'd be nice. The, we should actually tie into Pete's, I mean, Pete Freitag's, uh, passer. But anyway. So, I mean, the, the big disclaimer with Code Checker, though, that I see all the time is there's like a ton of rules packaged with it. And if you don't like the rules, don't use them, right? Like you can enable and disable different categories because there's a lot of kind of opinion-based rules in there. Like, you know, don't use is, use EQ, or, you know, don't use this, use that. And yeah. so I see a lot of people, they pick up Code Checker and like run it against their app and they'll get just like thousands of, you know, hits that come back. And they're like, 
really, do I have to not use this function? And the answer is you can use it if you want. That's just one of the rules that somebody wanted at some point in time. But like, don't think any of the rules in there are like hard, like facts. Like yeah. you can never use CF execute, you know, but if you are using it, at least make sure that it's being used safely. So mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of think it's like gospel truth, but there's tons of rules in there that are more like, hey, here's a CF directory tag, pay attention to it. Make sure there's no path traversals. As long as it's safe, you're fine. Nothing to worry about. Um, yep. But people, they see all the rules sometimes like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I couldn't use CF directory. Well, that's not what it's saying. It's saying these are things that we've highlighted for security purposes for people to review. Yeah. You know? I mean, to be honest, we actually use this for a client that thought they might've been hacked. And so we're looking for all the Java up, you know, the well, Java yeah. occurrences and CF executes to make sure that something hadn't been injected that shouldn't be there. Yeah, we, we were scanning a code them. base that couldn't be trusted. They were afraid malicious code could have been injected into their code base without them knowing it. And so we wanted to know every use of, you know, CF HTTP and, and CF directory and CF execute. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just, just depends on your use cases. That's why the rules are on all in categories and you can turn them on and off based on what you care about. Yeah, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll spit them out, you know, just do, I'll do all the vast scoping stuff first, and then I'll do all the query params, and I'll just attack mm -hmm. thing bit by bit. And, and then you can if, run the best practices and just see, oh, what does Audis's best practices look like? And mm -hmm. I'm not even sure if we've updated them for the new ones, to be honest. But, it's probably been a little while. But yeah. If you do the Excel export, you get a different tab in for the Excel one. document for each category, which is a great way to kind of break it down. Then you can take that Excel document, you can go through delete the ones you don't care about, highlight the ones you want to fix. Um, makes it a lot easier. Yep. Has the line numbers and the file names and everything to make it easy for you. So it actually, it actually pulls in the line of code now into the Excel document. Oh, so it'll cool. show you the line of code and that way you can just scan down the Excel spreadsheet. Uh, well, I mean the CLI output has the lines of code as well. In fact, they even added some basic formatting, but if you have 10,000 results, that's, you know, that's too much to deal with the CLI. Jumping so you can just open forward. up. Yeah. You can open up the Excel export. You can eyeball the rules, eyeball the line of code that was matched and say, oh yeah, that one's fine. Or, Ooh, yeah, we should look at that. It makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Otherwise you're cross-referencing back and forth your editor and it's a lot slower. Yep. So pretty cool little tool. Again, uh, um, we use it a lot and, uh, I know George Murphy actually has presented on it at like CF Summit before and everything because they're using a government. Mm -hmm. and I mean, they can use, uh, you know, you can set up a whole bunch of stick rules and security rules and everything and run those too. So George actually built the um, Excel export feature on CodeChecker. Very he cool. He contributed that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember he helped way back in the day. We yeah, we've had quite a few people working on it over time, and it's built up to a nice little tool. So, and I was surprised we hadn't even mentioned that one yet. So that's the power really of open source. Source, source. Yep, your Forgebox module of the week. Uh, pretty cool little CLI tool. Okay. So what do you got for VS Code? I'm seeing some VS Code in the chat. Uh, VS Code love in the chat today. People talking about wanting to see videos and stuff on it yep um and that's why give us some vs code love on. so vs code one today is a debugger from chrome by microsoft so seven million installs and basically what it allows you to do is live debug straightens vs code um if you're targeting chrome so a lot of people use you know the chrome dev tools and it works pretty neat and you can put you know breakpoints and debuggers in your in your app but you can do it straight inside of vs code so this little plugin allows you to do that um, and you get all the stack trace and everything right in there. Um, and yeah, it works pretty neat. So it does, it's definitely nice the way it jumps around, uh, jumps around the code, follows you. Um, so I really enjoyed working, uh, working with this and I just started using the Chrome dev tools a little more, but this looks pretty neat. So you can do breakpoints, including source files where source maps are enabled, you know, stepping, including the buttons on the Chrome page. You got the locals pane, debugging eval scripts, script tags, and scripts that you added dynamically, and you can do watches and consoles too. So uh, there are a few things that aren't supported right now, but uh, looks pretty easy um, to get set up. So, so how does it talk back and forth with Chrome? Is there like a Chrome extension that's sending information to VS Code, or is it? Um, I, was, I was reading somewhere in here they had it. Um, they have a port open. Um, a remote debugging port. Oh, other so, targets to support the Chrome DevTools protocol. Yeah. So apparently it's actually something built into Chrome's DevTools that they're tapping into. Yep. And because it allows for tools, uh, sorry, it, uh, the Chrome DevTools 
protocol allows for tools to instrument, inspect, and debug and profile Chromium, Chrome, and other Blink-based browsers. Well, there you go. Yeah, it nice. works pretty nice. I mean, I've used the Chrome debugger for you know debugging Electron apps and you know and Android apps and everything through USB, and that works pretty nice too. But um, it does like I do like the way it just all works together. And so you know, again, Chrome Chrome Div Tools is pretty great, but having it right inside of VS Code sounds pretty appealing too. So yeah, definitely should think about checking that one out. Um, yeah, so. That's your VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week. I think that's it. Yep. So our Patreon supporters, uh, again, we've got a lot of great supporters. Uh, we're up to 63% support for the podcast, so a little more, and we can uh, start putting money back into things like Commandbox, Forgebox, Coldbox, and all the other test, uh, test box and other box products. So uh, we thank everybody for their commitment, whether it's financial through Patreon or, you know, pull requests and issues being filed it all helps uh, we definitely appreciate all of you but special thanks out to our patreon supporters so i think it's my turn so i'll run through how about it so thank you ben adele brett deline calvin stanton charlie Earhart, dali dan card daniel garcia david ballinger tadia lesnicki don bellamy eric hoffman gary knight giancarlo gomez jan yannick jason dagger Jeff McCain, Jeremy Adams, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Kai Koenig, Laxma Tirahadi, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Ryan Hughes, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Odin, Stephen Klotz, Symmetrics, and Yogesh Mathur. Sweet. So got a few you know, eventually, eventually the reading of the Patreon supporters is actually going to be the bulk of the podcast. We're only going to get about 10 minutes worth of news. And then in about, you know, the last 50 minutes will be us reading the, the list. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I know that on our Patreon list, the the lower packages aren't actually guaranteed podcast coverage. So as we get more of the higher packages, we may even uh, have to just say, thank you, Patreon supporters, go here, look at them, and then here are the top paying (laughs) supporters. But yeah, it's nice to have that many. It's nice to see those names and to recognize them because a lot of them are in the chat. A lot of them are busy on CFML Slack and other places that we see in the community at conferences, etc. So it's nice to know that they're supporting uh, the podcast and yeah, supporting the community as a whole because hopefully this is useful for the whole community. <laughs> Not just us sitting around talking all the time. So, all right. Yep. See you all next week. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.